Too many who know the angles Uncover and untangle All the questions and the webs left out to tangle be in I'm Dapper Dan Gavazdan, and I'm the founder and editor of AmazingSpiderTalk.com, and I own every issue of Amazing Spider-Man, including the annuals. And I'm the mischievous Mark Chinacchio, and I'm the founder of the Chasing Amazing blog, author of 100 Things Spider-Man Fans Should Know and Do Before They Die, and I, too, own every issue of Amazing Spider-Man, but the annuals don't count. Well, thanks, everybody, for joining us for this special review roundup episode of the all-new Amazing Spider Talk. We hope you enjoy this podcast and that it provides an intelligent conversation between two fans and collectors as we look at the Spider-Man comic universe in a bit of a bigger picture. Today, we are going to be rounding up a series of reviews of Amazing Spider-Man that originally premiered for our Patreon supporters back when these issues were first published. That's right. We are going to be reviewing Amazing Spider-Man Volume 5, issues number 26 through 28. Three issues that brought Boomerang back into the center of the action alongside the Syndicate, an all-female villain team. Also, be sure to remember that this episode wouldn't be possible without the support from our wonderful Patreon subscribers, whose very patronage allows us to assemble the guests we have on the show and do all of our research. If you enjoy the show and want to help us continue while getting amazing bonus content like these reviews when they were originally released to our Patreon subscribers and additional episodes that we never reached publicly, go to our show notes and check out our Patreon page and consider joining our team. And I'll say there are right now at the time of recording this 95 people on our Patreon team. I would love it for Christmas if we could get to 100. That would be really cool. Well, Dan, while we wait for those five magical people to join, let's get to the action. We hope you enjoy a review of Amazing Spider-Man Volume 5, number 26. What's Enjoy our review of Amazing Spider-Man issue 26. Today we're going to be talking about Amazing Spider-Man issue number 26, or that's 827, for those of you who are keeping record at home. Although things keep getting stranger all the time, because now I just found out that the Renew Your Vows and Superior Spider-Man books are continuing on in their own volume. So what is the true number of Amazing Spider-Man? We can never really know. It's whatever they tell us it is, Dan, and... I guess it's 8.27 right now. I, whatever. Well, let's talk, <laughs> let's talk about 8.27 because while that number might be a lie, the cover to this book is also a lie. It's a bigger lie, in my opinion. It is a bigger lie because this book definitely has told us on the cover that we're getting a superior foes run in. 
And we got, what, one character from the Superior Foes who showed up in this book? Yeah, no, I mean, no doubt. I mean, we, we, we get the, the new Beetle in this book, and, and that's about it. I mean, Dan, uh, you know, not that there's anything wrong with it. This is kind of the bread and butter of serial comic book storytelling for years. But my goodness, if this is not the, the truest definition of a filler issue, I don't know what is. Yeah, and that's the funny thing. Like, you know, there are always some issues where the, like, I, I feel like Bendis did this a lot, where the covers were kind of, like, solicited before the internal content was. And so you'd often get covers that don't match up with what's inside the book. And I have to think that with, like, th- like it was this way. Like, Ryan Otley did not do the art inside this book, but he did the cover. And Kev Walker's being brought on, it seems, like, just for this issue or two. I ha- I wonder if there was some scheduling snafu and stuff was shifted around and the they couldn't commission a new cover in time and so you've got to get this mismatched content versus how it's being advertised. You know, that's not to necessarily knock the content, but I also feel like the content here is kind of like you said filler. It seems like nothing really got moved forward that significantly and we're biding our time until whatever we get in the next issue. I mean, like I said earlier, this is not an unusual thing to have happened in a comic book like Spider-Man. But like, you know, we did get this storyline a few months ago involving Boomerang that, you know, to the opposite of this, I felt kind of advanced some things in terms of the relationship between uh, Peter and Fred Myers significantly, which I enjoyed. We all enjoyed. It might be my favorite story of this run so far. Uh, And we're also coming off of like this very big emotional climax of a story in uh, Hunted and trying to set up things with this kindred character. And, you know, this this issue does pay lip service to both of those stories. But ultimately, I mean, you know, this could have come out in 2015 or whatever. And I don't I, I don't think it would have made much of a difference. It just kind of feels like it's there for the most part. It's touching in on a bunch of the ongoing threads, but it's kind of frustrating because that's kind of what issue 25 was, was setting up like all the things to come. And then we're now we're just kind of setting up more things to come. And let's start off with the first one. We've got this small sequence with Kingpin in like what appears to be the kind of tunnels under City Hall where a like crony of his is discovering some artifact that's been hidden down there for some time. In my guess, this is returning to the Kingpin story from the free comic book day issue where, you know, Boomerang and his team stole some item from a museum and Kingpin looks at it and it's all glowy pulp fictiony. And this is why he's been after Boomerang all this time. You know, Boomerang knows about something artifact that he has that, Kingpin is trying to get a hold of felt totally out of the blue to me, but I guess if since boomerangs in this book, it makes sense to bring his main antagonist along with him in a few pages to get some, some lip service paid to the relationship that we kind of, we talked about in our last episode with kindred and, and Kingpin and, you know, Kingpin kind of going after boomerang and and them seeing peter you know the kingpin's goon seeing peter with him and kind of being like all right never mind it's the roommate let's all go away which and then there's also this kind of throwaway line about this happening you know peter kind of acknowledges that this has happened before but do do you do you recall when dan i don't think it's ever happened before (laughs) i i I tend to gloss over things when i read maybe i missed something but clearly not (laughs) no i i don't think that this happened before um 
you know, it's crazy town banana pants theory, which is like you you can introduce it and say it's happened many times, but I'm not going to necessarily even remember it. I like that they kind of followed up on the Kindred thing, right? Like that's interesting that the you know the the kingpin deal with Kindred has had some effect, but don't try to convince me that it's happening all the time. It's like the the vulture V's. Like I've been seeing these V's everywhere. Uh, when, <laughs> like I said, it, it it just feels kind of a loose way to to kind of acknowledge that this story isn't completely in a vacuum. But for the most part, again, this this book kind of operates on its on its own wavelength of continuity. I mean, we get this again, this flashback to Boomerang and his is kind of his origins and his time as both a superior foe, but also as a a disgraced baseball pitcher, which is fun. I mean, I I enjoy these, but I don't want to be overly cynical here, Dan, but I also feel like at this point, Boomerang stuff kind of gets used as a crutch by Nick Spencer when he's got nothing else going on. He knows he can he can kind of play to some cheap laughs with him. And, and I've seen this before. I've seen this movie before. I, I, I don't know. I mean, like, yeah, every comic is somebody's first comic, but I, I don't know if I need to see the, the, the full... Uh, blow through of King, of Boomerang's origin again. I feel the same way about the Sinister Syndicate too. You know, like there is something interesting about this. You know, hastily assembled it seems group of female C list villains. You know, much in the line of you know the superior foes. You know, it's it's a bunch of you know disgraced Spidey villains getting together. And I like the emphasis on them being women because we certainly are lacking in female villains for Spider-Man, as we even said on on the last episode, you know, we were talking about issue 25, but like we spend so much time with them doing the superior foes banter, you know, I thought it really, you know, distracted from any main story that was going on. And I think that's really the problem is all of this banter is kind of fun in superior foes because there's a direct immediate threat and goals always. Whereas in this book, in Amazing Spider-Man, we're still, we're a year in and there's still no main story that's going on. Like Peter is very much in the background. And so when you're sacrificing Peter moments for them joking about, you know, organic vegan cheeseburgers, you know, I think you're really losing something. And that's the thing. I mean, when this book, when these jokes are happening in Superior Foes, that's the book. You know what I mean? That was the book from issue one to issue 19 or whatever it ended. I mean, here it just kind of feels like this weird diversion. And, and, and again, like I'm not trying to beat up on, on Spencer here, but it's like, you know, I feel like this is clearly an issue that to some degree kind of feels slapped together, not in the true sequence of what this storyline is supposed to be. So he kind of like, well, you know, the fans, the, the fans love superior foes. So let's just kind of call back to that. I don't know. Like for me, if I want to talk about superior foes, I'll go back and read my superior foes issues. I don't necessarily need to just kind of like play the hits here, you know? (laughs) Yeah. I mean, for me, I was thinking, you know, the end of this book is like a, you know, a really cool, you know, splash page of the sinister syndicate, you know, blowing up the feast building. And I was thinking to myself, like, what if this book just started with them at feast helping out aunt may and we introduced boomerang and like by page three, we're blowing up a wall of the feast building. And like, I don't think there was any, it would be much lost. Like we saw them get, you know, break electro out of police handling in the last issue. Like are any of these pages before this really telling us all that much new or introducing new ideas or good motivations for these characters? They want to get revenge on Spider-Man and Boomerang. 
okay, that's totally easy for me to understand in like a page worth of content. And I just, it, it, this stuff is so padded, you know, I want to, I want to get to the content. Get me to the fight if that's all it's going to be. Now, now speaking of content, you know, this this storyline when, we, when we're at Feast and seeing Aunt May kind of continues the storyline that was introduced in uh, Friendly Neighborhood some time ago that, that Aunt May is a, a cancer patient. But and I, you know, Dan, like I, I don't I don't want to get on a high horse here or anything, but this this whole cancer storyline with Aunt May it really isn't doing it for me, especially as someone who has dealt with loved ones with cancer. I, you know, like, I feel like it's just being handled too glibly here. Like, you know, like, it's like, like what what's going on? Is this, is this the end of the road for me? I, I mean, do you know what I'm saying? Am I being, am I being too sensitive here? Like, I, like this just, I don't get what the stakes are here. Like they're not playing this for stakes. So then what's the point of, of introducing this, this plot line? Yeah, it, it feels very much like one of those movies you watch where it's like the, the local police and the FBI, they're working together on a case, but they don't want to share materials with each other because they both have a certain ego tied up in being the one that solves the case. I, I'm not suggesting that like Tom Taylor and Nick Spencer are like drawing lines across the room and saying, don't cross over into this. But it feels very much like Friendly Neighborhood is going to be the book where we deal with the cancer thing and Amazing Spider-Man is going to touch lightly on it. But it's kind of such a big thing to deal with that like touching lightly on it suggests that it's not going to be really that important for the character because you know that's a huge thing. Yeah, it's a life-changing thing and and you can't like 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 it can't be life-changing on one book and not in the other, you know what I mean? Like it would be like Peter getting married but oh well, you know, in spectacular he wasn't actually married or you know like he he lived with MJ but we really didn't talk about the marriage that much. <laughs> yeah, and it just leads me to believe like May is not going to die and there might not be any major changes to the character through this. So, you know, it's in the, in the pages of this book, it just feels kind of tossed aside. I mean, I like that she's working and doing the feast thing, but that almost seems to be more of the emphasis than any cancer that she's going through. We could get made a feast just based on the collapse of Parker Industries, but her still trying to make a difference. You know what I mean? Like, like her having cancer has nothing to do with her desire to keep giving back to to her community. I mean, that's that's why I feel like this is just really like kind of glibly tacked on by by the creators right now with this character because like you 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 introduce something like that and and there are certain stakes that come with it and and I don't feel like either book really is really getting into those stakes. It's just kind of like a plot device and that's you know again not to get on a high horse but as someone who's dealt with loved ones with cancer like that that feels a little bit like a slap in the face here like 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 then do something else you know what i mean like like find 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 another device cuz like this is this is a heavy one for some people and i don't need to like kind of just watch it be casually mentioned in a book like oh she's got cancer but she's so strong cuz she's helping out at feast i mean come on give me a break like like she she we we, we know that may is strong and that she wants to you know, that she's got a heart of gold and she wants to be given back. Her having cancer has nothing to do with that. Well, I think about like how the Jane Foster Thor handled cancer, you know, where it was so integral to the character and there were real stakes associated with her being Thor and, with that. Now, Aunt May is not Thor, you know, but like even thinking back to like the Jerry Conway conversations we've had about like the blueberry pie, right? Where it's like, you know, Spider-Man's got to deliver the blueberry pie 
you know, perfectly fine or May will know that he's Spider-Man. If you really want to do the cancer thing, like let's make some of Spider-Man's adventures and Peter Parker's life be about that, you know, and how he's going to overcome that in some way. Well, Dan, I mean, those those are all good points. Just kind of blowing through some other plot points from this issue. We have, I guess, uh, the introduction of sorts of a new character, which is uh, Randy Robertson's girlfriend. Uh, any any thoughts on this? Well, it's been mentioned before, like offhandedly, this mystery girlfriend. And I, I think we have like various speculations about who it might be uh, that he's hooking back up with a former flame and maybe doesn't want to mention it. But then, I, but then he, he says in this issue that um, whoever he's dating got them tickets for To Kill a Mockingbird. And I thought to myself, well, what if it's Mockingbird that he's dating? I mean, we haven't seen her since since the dance lot run, right? It would be an interesting way to like clean that up a little bit because the way that that, hand, that relationship was handled was so haphazardly tossed aside. I mean, look, I'm all for introducing any kind of awkwardness into Peter's life. And this is kind of akin to like flash dating, you know, black cat at one point, actually during those Eric Larson issues that we're uh, talking about this week. Although on the flip side of that, what the hell is Randy Robertson doing with Bobby Morris? You know, right? I, I don't, I don't I, know. I, I don't mean, know. like Flash and Felicia made sense, at least. You know what I mean? This makes <laughs> that would make no sense. No, I think you're right. I think you're right. And then we, you know, we get the Sinister Syndicate. They show up and blow a giant hole in the wall of of Feast, which like I'm sure makes Aunt May's case about reopening it not that great. I guess we'll, we'll see. We'll see as things come. I have to say there's a moment where Peter is diving on Aunt May. And what does he shout? Look out! He does. And we get another George Stacy lookout moment that I've been cataloging. As far as I know, this is the fifth one so far. So in like 25 issues, we've had five of these, including one in Friendly Neighborhood Spider-Man. So I'm going to say I think this is definitely a thing. Yeah, it's not a cosmic coincidence here, Dan. Otherwise, like you said, it's just randomly bad writing. But uh, I, I, I think there's something to this. I don't know what it is. If it's... George Stacy coming back from the dead. I gotta, I gotta be honest. I'm saying it right here. I'm not terribly interested in that storyline. You know, if we're paying homage to this moment, I mean, and again, like if people are like, oh, well, what, what else? Why would he be saying, look out? It's something that somebody says. I mean, you know, this is, this is a very specific visual cue that is paying homage to what I would deem one of the most iconic moments in Spider-Man history, which is George Stacy pushing a little boy out of the way before meeting his own demise in Amazing Spider-Man number 90, right? I mean, this is not, like, I'm not overstating that this is a, a watershed moment in Spider-Man history, right? Yeah, I think it would be akin to if every five issues, and sometimes we've gotten this, but it would be akin to, like, every five issues, Spider-Man, like, lifting rubble off of his body you know, over and over and over again. You know, either this is like a lazy storytelling trope, which is like, oh, we'll just have Spider-Man knock someone out of the way or something, or there's something very deliberate going on here because it's just a hair more subtle than Spider-Man lifting things off himself because it's other people that are saying look out over and over and over again. 
Spider-Man Lithium Rebel might be the most famous moment in Spider-Man yeah, right, history. Right, right, outside right. of like getting bit by the spider. To me, like this is this is akin to Peter and MJ being on the Empire State Building or meeting Human Torch on the Statue of Liberty. I mean, this is this is an accepted part of canon that this moment happened in this specific way with these specific words being muttered. I mean, like it's it's important and and the fact that we keep referencing it in this way to is equally important. So we'll see what the payoff is. I I, I really have no idea because I mean I know like the highly speculative part of me is tempted to be like oh this is somehow related to Kindred, but like the fan of me is like I hope it's not related to Kindred because I would be so disappointed <laughs> in that. I, I got to be honest, it just doesn't do it for me. No, me neither. Um, so let's before we give a grade to this thing, let's talk about Kev Walker's art on this book, an artist we've not seen doing you know, art on Spider-Man before, I think most notably for his work during the Hickman run of Avengers. Hickman's back with Marvel actually this very week, uh, which I thought was a pretty thrilling book. Uh, but, but not to get into that, what did you think about uh, Kev Walker's stuff here? I liked it, but I, at the same token, like, you know, it, it, it disappoints me that, that we can't just get a solid run of Otley on this book right now. Like, I don't know why we got to this point not not to get on another ranty high horse, but like I, I don't know how we got to this point in Spider-Man where like we just cannot get a consistent artist working on this book anymore. You know, I feel like we have an artist, but like it's kind of part of the time. And that was the same case with during the dance slot era. And, you know, I just want to see someone that's drawing this character more often than he's not. And that doesn't seem to be the case with Ollie right now. Yeah, I'm hoping that when Patrick Gleason comes on, you know, we can get a team with some more stability. Like, I feel like announcing a full-time second artist on this book is the thing that's going to make that happen. But yeah, it has been a lot of kind of bouncing around. In regards to Kev's work, I thought the in-costume stuff was really great. Like, that final page of all the Sinister Syndicate standing there in the rubble is kind of exciting and, you know, makes the next book something I'm looking forward to. I thought his Peter and kind of his human characters were kind of hard to recognize. Like Peter was kind of like dude bro-y in this, like everything was very round. I mean, it's not like I didn't recognize the characters, but like if you showed me the his Peter, I would not say, oh, that's clearly Peter Parker. His Aunt May felt more ultimate-ish than I'm usually used to in, in ASM. Would you Would you agree to that? Absolutely. She was considerably younger, which is interesting for someone who has cancer. Yeah, that too. I mean, again, like what 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 are the stakes here, Dan, if they're not even visual, right? I mean, come on. Yeah. But if Boomerang is like really fun and like douchey in the way that you want Boomerang to be. So I was all for that. So, uh, you know, it's a mixed bag. I felt like maybe not the best match for Spider-Man, but like certainly, you know, not not a... Not a slouch, but you're right. The consistency thing is the most important thing. Any other random thoughts on this issue before we get to grades? Not really. I mean, there's a couple interesting tidbits on the letters page. Like someone wrote in about the kind of like black ant character and him, like which version of the black ant character. And the response of it was like kind of suggested that we're going to revisit that character in the future and find out more about who he actually is, which I hadn't even thought about. So, like, there are some other Marvel nerds out there that are doing my homework more for me. I haven't read Irredeemable Ant-Man, so, um, you know, I don't don't have a lot of connection to that character. And then there's this guy that writes in all the time called Chi-Town Spidey, who wrote in about Kindred being related to the spider marriage. 
which you know I was thrilled to see appear in the pages of this book, as has been my theory all the way back to issue one. And you know they played coy with their response, saying, uh, "Oh, that's really interesting." Um, but quote, there are crazy good things coming. So they didn't deny it. So I'll take that as a, hmm, maybe. Yeah, exactly. All right. Well, Mark, let's get to our grades. What do you think about this issue? It, it wasn't terrible, but it, it, it felt like filler. So, I mean, I, I'm going to give it a C, which to me is like just a totally cromulent fill in. But I mean, I wouldn't go and seek this out necessarily. What about you? I'm right there with you. C, solid C. It's an average comic for sure. All righty, Dan. Thanks to our patrons of Patreon, because without them, we would have never gotten that awesome review. But fear not, listeners at home. We are going to quickly transition to our review of Amazing Spider-Man, Volume 5, number 27. Enjoy our review of Amazing Spider-Man, issue 27. All right, so uh, today we're here to talk about Amazing Spider-Man Volume 5, number 27, also known as Legacy 828. We're, we're getting up there, Mark. Let's start off by talking about this. I mean, a good place to start is the cover. You know, eagle-eyed uh, readers will recognize as an homage to the last time the Sinister Syndicate showed up in full form in Amazing Spider-Man, other than this story arc, of course. And that would be Amazing Spider-Man number 280. Yeah, Dan, you, you before we came on the air, you had said, this this cover is an homage to something. Which one is it? Which one, one is it? I'm like, what is he talking about? And then, you know, took a couple of visual cues. You're like, 280. I'm like, by God, he's right. And yes, <laughs> there it is in, 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 plain, in plain form from the DeFalco Friends age. And yeah, that issue was special because it was what? Like Spider-Man in the black suit protecting Silver Sable from like, some of the worst costumed heroes or villains ever, right? We got the new Rhino costume in that issue, which I don't really think has ever resurfaced. It's a pretty random issue, although I think there are some like Spider-Man chronology sites that actually quite like it for what it's worth. Like I think like Spider-Fan likes that issue a lot. So there, there you go, 280, you know? I mean, what's not to love? 80 Spider-Man. You know, visual similarities aside, there's really not much to do with that story in the pages of this one, uh, we're kind of picking up after the last issue where the newly formed all-female syndicate, they have dropped the sinister element of the name, and they're just going by the syndicate now. They have burst through the wall of the feast facility. You know, everybody's cowering in fear of their ladiness. What do you think of this issue, Mark? I mean, once again, Aunt May is like, has to, you know, she's in a building that's like collapsing around itself. She's in a lot of those lately. You notice that? Yeah, I do know. I do notice that. I mean, we don't get another lookout here, although we get a reference to a previous lookout moment here in this book through a flashback. I'm always on the hunt for those moments. Yeah, uh, Aunt May seems to just be really bad for real estate. Pretty much, pretty much. I mean, you know, considering she's she's sick with cancer and now she's just like in buildings that are constantly imploding on themselves. But in terms of my overall thoughts of the issue, Dan, I mean, like, this is fine. <laughs> um, I know that's like not a ringing endorsement. It's not a it's not a complaint either. I mean, you know, not to devolve into a conversation about like scheduling and stuff like that. But I do kind of find it interesting. Like this is the second part of this story and 
for whatever reason, this one we had to wait three weeks for instead of the usual two. So I actually almost kind of forgot a little bit about what happened initially. And like, this feels like the wrong kind of story to be taking a three week break <laughs> instead of a two week break, because you could really forget what's going on here when it's it, because it's just kind of unremarkable, for lack of a better word. I was thinking that like each of these Nick Spencer's issues, everyone that I read, I always end up thinking at the end of them, like, well, the next one's the one where it's really going to get cooking, you know? And I think we said that about the last issue was, boy, stuff is really going to go down in the next issue. And it's kind of true here. But even then, by the end of this, I'm thinking, oh, the really interesting stuff is going to come in the next issue. You know, maybe that's a good thing for kind of like, you know, syndicated comics, you know, where they want you to keep checking in. But like so many of these issues seem so insubstantial, like they feel like half an issue or if, if even that. And and I feel like while wow, this one has more substance than the previous one, I still don't feel like we're truly getting full stories here. On top of that, that like jumbo size slash more expensive issue 25. I mean, that feels like a lifetime ago right now, doesn't it? Oh, absolutely. Even though it was two issues ago. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's just, I mean, and that I think it's kind of like the detriment of pacing your stories like this. I mean, like these, these milestone moments where like you're kind of expecting things to, to take off and start cooking. It's not happening. So like it all just kind of blends together and things both are like coming at you like quickly, but also slowly. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, like I don't, I, I can't distinguish one comic from the next right now, which to me is a bad thing. I mean, like I couldn't do that during hunted and I can't do that with these issues right now. Like, like these are, these stories are not distinguishing themselves. They're not bad. It's fun. We got some fun boomerang stuff here. I mean, Nick Spencer writes a hell of a boomerang. We knew that from superior foes. I can go back and read those issues, too, for good boomerang stories. I don't know if I need an Amazing Spider-Man. I don't know. Am I being too cynical here, Dan? No, I don't think so. I mean, like, I like that at least we're being consistent with the kind of stories that we're tackling, right? We're going to probably put the a capper on this Kingpin story that I don't think you and I have been super hot on from the beginning. But, like, it seems like this is probably going to come to a head here if some of the teases in this issue are to be believed. At least I hope we're kind of bringing this to a close. I don't know that this is something that could sustain over a year's worth of comics focusing on, but I like at least the, the narrative consistency. It's not something where we started a story and we're checking back in two years later in the way that I feel like the Kindred story is playing out, where it's like, yeah, this one's cooking, but it's really been cooking with, with no simmer. So at least this one's delivering in, in some way. But yeah, I mean, I think the problem is is that, you know, I think even more so than the Spider Jeopardy stuff, is that this story feels like it's a Boomerang first story and a Spider-Man second story. Um, you know, and I, I, Spider-Man gets a little more time to shine here, but really Boomerang is kind of the one driving the action. Yeah, and I mean, and the team up between the two characters here, it's fun and I kind of like that which is something we don't see a lot in team-up stories, that they, they, they readily acknowledge like the lack of physical chemistry between the two characters here and how that's kind of serving, you know, it's giving them adversity that they have to overcome here. I like that. I mean, like, we've had, I don't know, 40 years of Spider-Man team-up stories in the comics. And, you know, while we always kind of play the hits of, well, you know, there's a misunderstanding and they don't 
really get along, but now they do get along and yada, yada, yada. I kind of like the fact that like Spencer here is demonstrating like, no, they're not working well together. And because of that, they're losing this fight against these other characters who are in sync and are working together and are, are, you know, have a plan of attack. And, you know, like to me, that would be like a major flaw with Spider-Man because he doesn't team up well with others to kind of show again and again. So I kind of like that we're showing that here. Like it's a, it's a nice wrinkle to the same old, same old in terms of team up stories. Yeah, that's a really good point. And I, I kind of want to add on to that in that Spider-Man and Boomerang are kind of the same kind of character in terms of how they address problems in their life. They're kind of like a, act first, think later, you know, a uh, pairing, you know, boomerang. He does do some scheming, but it's often to like, he's already in the hole and he's trying to, you know, dig deeper to somehow get himself out of it. And same with Spider-Man. Like they both kind of dive into situations before they've truly thought them through. And so I like that their, their kind of physical action together represents that they're, you know, they're not really considering you know, the long-term, you know, effects of how they behave in combat. But uh, yeah, I also want to add on to your point about the villains, which is like, hey, finally a supervillain team fighting Spider-Man that knows how to work together. If only the Sinister Six could could take this advice, they might actually beat Spider-Man here and there instead of fighting him one at a time. Now, I mean, what did you think overall about how the syndicate here is kind of presented? I mean, like, Here's the thing, and I'm I, I, I'm trying to kind of walk into this with a, f- a fair amount of caution because, you know, we got this in the last issue as well, which is like, you know, like I feel like a lot of this is being written too knowingly in terms of, OK, so this is a team of all women, which is fine. You know what I mean? But like, I feel like we keep calling attention to that and like keep calling attention to the fact that there's like a certain amount of enlightenment there with these characters. And like, you know, they're, they're asking each other for their opinions on things and like, Oh, no one's ever done this before. And like, it's almost like it's just too on the nose for me. You know what I mean? Like, like just have a team of women that are doing their thing and kicking ass. Like, why does it have to be, so pointed out and so meticulous and like, oh, look, look at this. Look, look what they're doing there. It's so much different than the men. I, I don't know. Like to me, like I feel like it's too much in the other direction. Like let's if we're going to have a quality in, in comics, that means like just treat these characters like every other character. Like you don't you don't have to make it seem that special. I, I don't know. Am I am I being too narrow minded here with this? <laughs> No, I don't think so. I mean, I think it's meant to be like a bit of a commentary on like how many of these evil teams are exclusively all men for some reason, you know, and but yeah, I, I think it, it it does protest a little too much. And, and if you're going to like call out that it's all women, then you should probably avoid the kind of like stereotypes associated with women in some way. Like if you really want to be like put that on spotlight. So like for me, I can't help but feel a little bit icky that like Spider-Man swings into action here saying I'm all for like this female team thing while kicking Lady Octopus in the face or like Boomerang trying to kind of like create like cat fights amongst the team over what kind of food that they're eating and stuff like that. I mean, maybe I'm adding that kind of level of, of like the you know male perspective to it, but it's like, if you're going to, you know, highlight them for being women you know, in such a marked way, you should really kind of also focus on what comes as a benefit of being a female team. And maybe it's that they, you know, work better together than, uh, you know, a male team might. But if that's the case, it, it, it doesn't seem quite as pointed out as 
what they're, you know, is being used to div- divide them in some way. It, it's not a big deal, but yeah, the book has really gone out of its way to say, hey, this is a female team. Yeah, I guess that's just what it is. I mean, like, I feel like it's trying to have it both ways and like trying to show that there's a certain level of enlightenment here, both kind of tongue in cheekly, but also I think not tongue in cheekly. I think seriously, like, hey, look what we're doing here. But it's like, if you're going to be doing things progressively and differently than your predecessors, then don't like be simultaneously like patting yourself on the back for it. Like, just do it. Just write it. Just write the story and, and write a good story with female characters. And like, like I actually liked the bit with Boomerang, like when they're kind of like, you know, Boomerang's like, well, what's your issue with me? And like, they're kind of like showing these like little vignettes of him, like hitting on all of these women individually, because like, to me that, that rang true. You know what I mean? Like, like he, he has objectified all these, these female characters at one point or another so much. So like with the same exact pickup line, no less that, that it kind of all blends together. And to me that rang true. And I, I appreciated that. And like, to me that, that was fine, but like, yeah, like, like, you know, kind of like having Spider-Man, like, you know, take a sidebar and be like, oh, yeah, you know, it's great that all the women are doing this. And but you're still criminal. I, I mean, like criminals are criminals. It's not great. You know what I mean? Like, just 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 fight them <laughs> or not fight them. You know, like, this, it, it, like you know, what, d- d- just do your thing and, and, and tell that story, I guess. That's all I'm coming at. This is kind of like the springboard to something even more interesting later on, which I think like later in the issue we kind of get to. Like, I liked the bit that you said about Boomerang hitting on the women, but I also kept thinking in the back of my mind, it's like, great, we have some, you know, female villains whose only motivation to defeat our hero is just another, you know, stereotype, you know, about like the, you know, the angry, sensitive woman, you know, who, you know, is aggrieved by, you know, male aggression or whatever, which is fine. But like, I'm glad that by the end of the issue, it kind of evolves into something else. And this kind of like way that these women are finding themselves empowered by teaming up together, which we'll talk about, you know, I guess when we get to later on in the issue, but like, let's, let's get back to the, well, not even get back. Cause I just diverted us, but let's talk about like the boomerang aspect of this book, because it really kind of becomes a superior foes issue. You know, I, we kind of made fun of the previous issue for having the superior foes on the cover and not featuring them in the middle inside of the book, which I still don't really understand. I, I thought there would be an appearance of them here and it was just like a cover that was an issue off like we get sometimes. But that's not very much the, not the case. But in a way it is because this book feels more like a superior foes book than kind of any of the other amazing Spider-Man we've gotten in that like as soon as they show up, you expect this big brouhaha between the syndicate and, and boomerang, but he's immediately trying to like hoodwink them and pull one over on them and create, uh, you know, like uh, fighting within the ranks. And, uh, and it was like, well, that's boomerang for you. That felt really true to me. Oh, absolutely. I mean, he, he, he is conniving and kind of, you know, lucky in spite of himself. I mean, boomerang is not really an intelligent character, at least in my mind, and yet he's a survivor in his own kind of bizarre way. And and that's what we're seeing here until until he's inevitably not because of, you know, the, the miscommunications with Spider-Man here, which was interesting. Yeah, I like that, like, even for a second, his kind of like conniving even begins to work. Right. You know, like I mean, I complain that like the book was featuring women bickering amongst each other, but like really it, it, it's Boomerang's kind of manipulation kind of of working there he's kind of gaslighting them and taking you know their eyes off of the prize which is you know him i guess 
And then, you know, to talk about further subversion, right? Like as soon as they capture Boomerang, you know, it's the Beetle who's kind of selling everybody out. And, you know, that was kind of like a, a twist that I wasn't expecting. And that's the kind of thing that made Superior Foes, I think, such a fun book to read. Oh, absolutely. Like that one twist came after the other. Do we want to talk a little bit about Electro here and like her turn? Because it was a pretty interesting turn here. Yeah, sure. What did you like about it? Let, let me actually preface this before we say that, before I start saying the positive. A negative here was, OK, so during this fight with Boomerang and Spider-Man, I mean, they they... Well, Boomerang accidentally knocks Spider-Man out with this gasarang, and then they capture Boomerang, and they they got Spider-Man dead to rights here, and they just kind of like let him off the mat, which to me is just it's dumb, but it also doesn't make sense for these characters. Like you would think that these characters would just be done with it, you know what I mean? Unmask him, kill him, whatever, you know what I mean? Like 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 wh- what was that? That was a total like write yourself into a corner. Because you don't want to, like, you know, do anything to, to Peter or to Spider-Man here. But yet, like, you're completely betraying these characters by not having them do the, the smart thing here, right? Sure. I mean, even at the very least, like, they're all, like, criminals or thieves or whatever. So, like, unma- like capture him and use his identity against him for blackmail or something. I mean, I just don't believe that these characters would leave an opportunity like that on the table. You know, especially considering that Spider-Man is so... First of all, it's kind of absurd that they beat him, although I'll buy it because of the chaos of the situation. But like, yeah, I, I, I can't imagine anybody leaving that kind of prospect on the table considering what a big figure Spider-Man is. And he's been thwarting their adventures for years as well. In terms of the positive here, so, you know, we have this moment with Electro where they, they have Boomerang and he's all webbed up and they're like, what should we do with him? Well, what do you think? Are they, I'm trying to remember. Do they call her Electro or Maxine here? They call her Electro, but she kind of talks about herself. It's a good moment because, like, she kind of like, you know, like is t- is taken aback by like the fact that they're asking for her opinion here. And again, like to me, this is like this is the inverse of what I was saying earlier with this team of women, which was like, oh, are we kind of overdoing it with like being too knowing about it? But like, no, I mean, like here, it's like. We, we have seen this character, Electro, this new Electro now for, this is going on now since what, Dead No More, I think? Yeah, even even before that, I think it's like in, in like volume three, we got her. It's, it's evading me in terms of how far back this character goes now. But, you know, point being, like we're getting this, you know, we've had this new character, but we really don't know anything about Francine. I called her Maxine. I'm sorry. I, Francine before. Well, she might as well be Maxine in that she's just a Max Dillon copy. Well, exactly. So like, like, I feel like through this moment here, we have an opportunity to, you know, show her a little more three dimensionally than what we've seen before. So I appreciated that. Yeah, I 100% agree. And I, I think this kind of bit in the book where, you know, she kind of steps up and she's like, I've got all these ideas to tell and try is like one, it's kind of genuinely frightening the way that it's drawn and, and portrayed by Walker and, and the, the art team. I, I can't help but think this is kind of like a sly commentary on kind of the voices in comics as well. I mean, I think, you know, even the idea that Nick Spencer is writing Amazing Spider-Man is kind of like an indie comics creator was given the keys to the to the kingdom. And you, I, when I read it, I thought immediately that like, the Beatles says, like, why don't you come up with a bunch of ideas and, and you'll pitch them to us? And, you know, it just seems like a comic book pitch, you know, that that these kind of voices 
of, you know, smaller indie creators or even just women in the comics industry are finally being given some voice to, you know, give contributions to uh, this kind of larger canvas. I mean, it would be great if we could get a female creator writing Spider-Man one of these days. But like, I thought that this was kind of a, a neat wink and a nod, I think, to that. Did you... Did that ring true for you at all when you were reading it, or is it just me re- overreaching on my meta commentary? I wouldn't say you're overreaching. I mean, I don't know if I saw it quite in the same through the same lens as you, but like as you're explaining it, that like completely makes sense to me. So you're right. <laughs> I, I find it funny because like a moment later, they're all cheated out of their voice, right? Like they're all, you know, Beetle is just kind of pulling one over on them. Which is like, hey, yeah, you should really step up and like assert yourself and, you know, give me some ideas and I'll get back to you. And then a minute later, she's like, I'm really just duping all these chumps, you know, and I wonder if there's a bit of like a class struggle kind of thing being shown here. You know, it's like, you know, you guys are all like D-listers, but like in that I'm fooling you, I'm elevating myself above you all. You know, I mean, it's just a simple inversion, but like the fact that it went through that whole thing about pitching ideas just really made me think about kind of maybe the kind of corporate structure of like Marvel. You know, it's like, hey, we're bringing all you indie people in and you finally are being given the ability to do whatever you want, but we're still going to take all your profits because we are the ones, you know, capitalizing on your ideas. Maybe I'm just reading too much about the comics industry recently. You know, Beetle at the end kind of pulling one over them, but then like, you know, the big reveal at the very, very end is like she's she and Randy Robertson are together. And like, I don't know, to me, that kind of feels like that kind of like takes something away from the character because now she's just a love interest again. And it's like kind of like replaying the beats with Boomerang when he was the random roommate in the beginning, right? Yeah, no, 100%. And then there's the whole idea that even then, she's not really the boss. The kingpin is the boss, you know? So like this group of women that have gathered together who are asserting themselves in some way saying like, we're this new supervillain team, but really unbeknownst to us for really working for the man, you know, like, like the man of all men. I don't know. I I got me thinking a lot about it, like with the whole Ike Perlmutter thing and how he like donates his money. It's like all these Marvel creators are creating these books that have a kind of anti-fascist point of view. And, and meanwhile, like the head of Marvel is kind of like funneling money into kind of fascist viewpoints. I'm not going to get into the whole political realm of that, but like, that's what's going through my mind when I'm reading this comic. Well, to, to, to kind of backtrack a little bit on that. So what do, what do we think is the, the Kingpin's endgame here? Because like, so he's kind of like staring longingly into a, a portrait of Vanessa here as this is all going down. What's what's Kingpin? Go, what's Kingpin doing, man? Well, I want to assert some kind of like value on Kingpin looking at a portrait of Vanessa, except that like I'd say 90 percent of his comic book appearances are him doing that. Right. Yes. <laughs> like yes. He, he just his whole house is just portraits of Vanessa Fisk. I, I don't want to go like too far out on this, but we talked about the Stone Tablet saga back in season two of our show. And, you know, if we're looking at a picture of Vanessa Fisk, like the only thing I can really think to do with her is resurrect her in some way. And I know that like Nick Spencer loves the kind of old callbacks. So uh, if I had to venture a guess, I think that's the direction they're going is some kind of resurrection tool. The, the Stone Tablet saga, I don't know if it ties into Kindred necessarily, but like my takeaway from the Fisk Kindred thing is that like he was reaching out to him to resurrect Vanessa in some way. And I don't think that Kingpin's goal has changed all that much. So I'm putting it on some magical device. And I would suspect if we're going to go with some kind of artifact that's being traded around, 
it's going to be the tablet of life and death or whatever. I mean, not for nothing, Randy Robertson, that was like a big story for him. So, I mean, you know, if he's hanging out with the Beatle, maybe that's why she's targeting him as a for a relationship. I don't know. Just throwing it out there. Yeah, I don't think I mean, that would be my guess. I mean, do you, is that what you were speculating all this time? I don't know if I was speculating all this time, but like, yeah, I mean, it, it signs point to it for sure. So we haven't really talked about Aunt May and her role in this book yet. I mean, Spider-Man kind of whisks her away to a closet during the battle. And part of me wants to read the comic where Aunt May is just stuck in that closet after Spider-Man gets knocked out for like several hours. You know, he's like, don't come out of here. So eventually she wakes him up. Right. And they have this kind of weird moment. And I kind of wanted to get your feeling on this where she like talks to him and is like, hey, you know, Freddy is in trouble. You should go save them. And Peter, as Spider-Man, is like, well, there are other people that could do that. I have like bigger things to fry. And eventually she kind of convinces him like, no, you should really go help him. And I was like, wait, what? Why? Like, is he trying to put up a show so she doesn't think that he's Peter or something? I, I had no idea what this beat was all about. Did you do you know why they went through this whole rigmarole? No, I don't. I mean, it, it was definitely kind of out of nowhere for me and, and, and kind of rang hollow, too. I don't, I don't think he was – I think it was just – might have just been some poor writing because I don't think it was necessarily him trying to pull one over on May either. It just, it just felt like, oh, you know, like they needed to have a moment of Peter not necessarily doing the right thing. But, like, it was completely out of context and didn't make sense given what we knew here. So, yeah, I, I can we just say – bad writing for a page? I don't know. Yeah, I just, it was baffling to me. I mean, it's not a big deal. It was just like, wait, why is he acting that way? And on a similar note, you know, that page closes with like May looking at the ruined shell of Feast. And I mean, this is strange to me because like the implication is that like she says like they're never going to get like a bank to cover this kind of thing. And it's like, well, why introduce the element of her rebuilding fist or Feast if it's only going to get destroyed shortly thereafter. I mean, I imagine this is going somewhere, but it just seems like a weird turn to take. And this is how many issues later? Barely six? I mean, it seemed pretty short. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. She, is she opening like destroyed buildings are us? Rubble are us? I mean, like, where is this going? I, I don't know. Anything else you got to say on this one? I do want to say the one thing we've been talking about the least in this issue is Spider-Man himself. And this is kind of an ongoing thing. It, this is a boomerang book with Spider-Man, you know, as the guest character, it seems. But there were these couple pages at the back where suddenly Spider-Man is swinging around town and reflecting to himself about, like, how he's going to find Boomerang. And there's a great joke about how he hit him with a spider tracer and Boomerang probably hasn't washed his clothes in all that time. And I, as soon as this happened, I was like, all right, this is a Spider-Man book again. Like, it just felt like a Spider-Man book. And I know this is like, damning with faint praise like oh my god a spider-man book feels like a spider-man book and i know that you and i have really laid thick on how much we like the spider-man swinging around town thinking to himself stuff but like man this just felt like a spider-man book all of a sudden even the stuff with like beetle and randy making out like that's not like a spider-man problem to me all of a sudden like oh his personal life is being intruded upon by his Spider-Man life. And I was like, okay, I'm excited for the next one. More of this, please. And that's like the faintest praise because like, I just want to read a book about Spider-Man. I'm with you. 
100%. Neither of us guessed the Beatle reveal as Randy's girlfriend, although I have to say one of our listeners wrote to us and guessed it. I don't have their name handy right now because I'm not good at my job, apparently. I guess hats off to you, whoever you were. This was a while ago. They recommended it. I, I didn't guess it, and it should have been somewhat obvious, I think. But but yeah, this is interesting for sure. Oh, yeah, no doubt. I mean, it, it's going to set some things up for definitely some Spider-Man Peter awkwardness, which is... What the, what is always best for the character? And now now both roommates of his are entangled in like you know superior foe shenanigans. And okay, I just hope it doesn't overwhelm the book uh, with superior foe stuff as much as we love that stuff. Exactly. You got a grade for this book? I'm giving this one a oh man, this is tough. I, I'm somewhere between like a C plus and a B minus. Do you want to tip my hat here, Mark? I was going to say B minus. So Yeah, uh, let's go with that. All right. Sounds good. We're so agreeable. Oh, well. <laughs> this episode wouldn't be possible without the support from our wonderful Patreon subscribers, whose patronage allows us to assemble the guests we have on the show and do all of our research. If you enjoy the show and want to help us continue while also getting amazing bonus content and additional episodes that we never release publicly, go to our show notes and check out our Patreon page and consider joining our team. Thanks for that awesome ad read, random disembodied voice. We hope you're enjoying these reviews so far because we have another one coming up. Time for Amazing Spider-Man Volume 5, Number 28. Enjoy our review of Amazing Spider-Man Issue 28. Today we're going to be talking about Amazing Spider-Man number 28, also known as Legacy 829. We're making our way closer and closer to another anniversary issue at some point. Mark, this issue is the end of the Syndicate story, this three-part story by Nick Spencer that we've been getting. You and I have not been like huge fans of the other ones. I think we think they're like kind of fine. Did this one turn it around for you at all? No, I, I think it maintained that level of fine. I mean, you know, like there's nothing outwardly bad about this comic, but like I just feel this is in the grand scheme of things going to be a pretty forgettable story in the long run. And, and you know, like, and there were some things that it kind of repeated some frustrating traits of this Nick Spencer run, which we can get into in a little more detail. But yeah, I mean, I don't know. This is, it's like, I feel like this is a check the box issue and we're moving on. I don't know. What did you, did you, did you how did you feel about it? Yeah, it's fine. Um, I mean, I kind of like want to keep reiterating, like Spider-Man does not feel like, the actionable character in this. Like, I think there are so many events that happen in books like this where the other characters get to do things and Spider-Man is just kind of along for the ride. And, you know, I would just much rather prefer to see a writer tackle this and find a way to make Spider-Man the guy that's moving the action forward in some way or giving him some kind of control over his own narrative in some way. We'll talk about it, but... There's so many like fun scenarios in here, but they ultimately are resolved by other people. When I feel like just kind of like allowing Spider-Man to be the powerful character that he is, he could have handled it in a way that would find interesting and would allow us to kind of empathize with the character and get inside his head a little bit more. And instead we're kind of like, not only is it not emphasizing him, it's diminishing his ability as a character to engage in his own narrative. And it's struggle it's it's struggle for a book that's been doing this. And I think it was our complaint about Hunted. It's our complaint about this story. And even issue 25, which was a Mary Jane story that we liked. 
Spider-Man was at the back seat. It just feels like this character has been a, in a back seat of the story for like six months now. It's the amazingly passive Spider-Man. And I guess uh, we got to get used to it, right? (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. So speaking of characters who aren't Spider-Man, this book follows up on the big twist at the end of the last issue that Randy is dating Janice Lincoln, also known as the Beatle from the Superior Foes of Spider-Man. I think, you know, we get all new details here about this relationship. I think it would be important. It's important to kind of talk about this now that it's kind of fleshed out a little bit more how we feel about this relationship and how it kind of plays out in this issue, because it is kind of the emotional spine of this issue. Yeah, I'm one breath. Yes. Like you said, like it, 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 it gets played out for an emotional resolution, which is is at least a little interesting. But like, you know, you kind of like look at the situation more from like a thousand foot overview and it kind of doesn't make sense or, you know, like, or maybe in ways it does make sense. They don't really explore it. You know what I mean? Like in terms of these relationships and the, and the past of the, of specifically with Randy and, and his dad in terms of the Lincoln family. I don't know. Like, I feel like this is one of those things where it's like, it kind of got shoved in there and it's kind of handled well, but, not entirely like like a lot of this run <laughs> you know what i mean like like there's some interesting things there but then also some puzzling things there i don't know yeah you you mentioned this history that we have to lev- leverage obviously there's the whole like tombstone robbie robertson story that has a lot of like weight on the robertson family that never is really uh, mentioned here i mean we get some kind of slight mentions of tombstone weaving his way into this story. And maybe that's a kind of complication we'll get down the line, but it would be a lot to, for me if I was Randy to overlook that, but also even just in Randy's recent history in comics. I mean, it seems like forever ago that we were doing spider Island. It was what, like seven or eight years ago. Yeah. Uh, 2011. So, so there, yeah, yeah. So that's it. Eight uh, years ago. <laughs> so that was like in my mind the last big Randy story, which seems like forever ago. He was like, there was the whole Phil Yurick is kind of like making moves on Nora, who is Randy's girlfriend, and then there was the big fight between Randy and the the Hobgoblin in the streets with Randy having spider powers, and Randy's kind of always been this like force for good and really sided himself up with like heroes and and like you know civil rights and. To see him kind of like dating this like lawyer who like admittedly he might be attracted to her. He knows she's a thief and I don't know that I like bought this character's transformation quite so much. I understand him being annoyed with Peter Parker, which is a great joke in this book where you think that, you know, he's complaining about Boomerang and it turns out he's complaining about Peter. I'm there for that. That's funny. I just don't know how much I believe this character would would bounce to a super villain girlfriend, especially one so like intrinsically tied to his family. Although maybe that's a story we're going to explore down the road. You know, this has kind of been the, the crust of the Nick Spencer run from the get go, which is like, you know, we look at a situation and you and I kind of talk and speculate like, well, you know, they could go there. They could go there. At least through this point, a lot, a lot of those stories have been mined for the depth that they should be mined for. So you know, it it could go in those directions or this could just be like, you know, again, Nick Spencer just trying to go in for a joke and then kind of leaving it there. I don't know. You know, like, I guess I guess we'll find out. But as of right now, it's not doing it for me based on, you know, what we're seeing 
on paper. I guess that's where I'm going with, you know, like I, I could have an open mind, but, you know, fool me once. <laughs> well, uh, so much of this year and like month that we've had Nick Spencer on the book, it feels like that kind of thing where you ask someone to clean their room and they clean up everything in the room by shoving it in the closet. And one of these days, someone's going to open the closet and everything is going to fall on them. You know, like I'm just waiting for that closet opening to happen. You know, like we spent so much time cleaning things up and arranging things in a certain way that we haven't been doing anything. And, you know, what is he waiting for? I don't know. Like, why not like, you know, engage in this drama now? Like this this whole withholding thing, it's like a bad trope from television, like on Lost, where nobody would tell each other what they knew because they were the writers were holding it back for a dramatic moment later. But it feels cheap. It feels it just feels cheap. Get to it. If that if there is a drama to be mined here, let's get to it right away. I'm done waiting for it. Yeah, I mean I don't mean to jump ahead in this book, but like I, I think the the biggest frustration for me in this comic, Dan, was the fact that, you know, since since the free comic book day issue essentially, we know that like the Kingpin has been after Boomerang. And, you know, here we get to this point where it's like, well, what did you really do, Boomerang? And it's like, we know that these characters are discussing these things, but yet again, they're not telling us. And it's like, what do you, what, what, what kind of game is this? Like, this is just so, it's just such cheap story playing. You are intentionally dragging things out for what? What's the payoff? What, when are you going to start, you know, firing these guns that you've been, you've been storing up? Like, it's, it's really frustrating, Dan. I, I don't mean to get, like loud on the microphone, my levels are probably through the roof, but uh, <laughs> it's, just, it's just really, and like, you know, you saying like, like it's like a thing of loss, like that. Yeah. That's where we're at right now. <laughs> yeah. We're lost. We're literally lost. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's even more painful because by the end of the story, Spider-Man knows, and we don't know. Yes. You know, like our hero, our protagonist knows, and we don't. And suddenly it's like, it's moved past suspense into just, plain withholding you know it's not the like it's it, it's there's that hitchcock thing that i keep bringing up it's like there's the the bomb under the table and if you know there's a bomb under the table when two people are talking you feel suspense while they're talking you know and when it blows up you want them to get out of there that's suspense and if you don't know the bomb is there and the bomb goes off and kills these people it's surprise but this in this case there's a bomb under the table it blows up and we don't know what happened or why the bomb blew up or even if it blew up we're just taken somewhere else and we don't know and it is artificially yeah like you said artificially delaying this thing and it's really frustrating and and even more so and we'll get to this as we talk about it is it is how they get boomerang out of the scenario so suddenly you've got the victory and and the conclusion to your story happening because there's something we don't know about not to be completely glib about this dan but like you know i know nick spencer clearly loves boomerang i love nick spencer's boomerang it's probably the best character he wrote but like is boomerang that critical of a character in the grand scheme of things to be like playing this kind of long game with i mean like we can move quickly on Boomerang. You know what I mean? Like the world can move fast on Boomerang. I love Fred Myers. I love Superior Foes. We don't need to be dragging this out for two plus years now. You know, like let's just go. <laughs> yeah, I don't disagree. I mean, again, all of the back and forth between him and Janice in this issue is really fun, right? Like when he knows that she's 
lying to them and he's using that leverage to get himself out and further entangle things. There's the great image of her like standing over him, holding him in the webbing, you know, or whatever that foam is. And she's like furious with him. And it's, it's great. Like this guy can dismantle a room just by talking is really fun to see. But again, like he's driving the action, not Spider-Man. And as fun as it is, it's like, yes, we've got this stopping withholding. We know boomerang is fun. How does Spider-Man function in this? Right. I mean, this, this book is at its best currently when it kind of devolves into a superior foes book. And I don't know if that's a good thing for the amazing Spider-Man. So let's get to some of the like the actual things that happen in this book. Oh, we've been talking about that, but more specifically, Kingpin shows up halfway through this book because he's got to get involved. I kind of like how Spencer's been writing Kingpin here, like as this guy who really knows how to leverage his power as the mayor. There's the bit where Spider-Man tries to pull a, a smart one on him, a moment I liked where Spider-Man really says to him, like, hey, I thought we were buddies. I've seen all the billboards, you know, and he's leveraging his own history with Kingpin. But Kingpin's smart enough to go, oh, no, uh, hypnotism boomerang or whatever has, you know, convinced Spider-Man that he's, you know, against me or whatever. Like, I thought that was really clever. And again, a nice moment for Spider-Man to really take action. These are the smart moments of this book by, by all means. And I like the cleverness of Kingpin here. I mean, Kingpin is another character, like you said, that I feel is being written consistently and being written well and being written proactively. It's also not the Amazing Kingpin book. So there you go. (laughs) (laughs) But then we get this thing that you and I complain about. Like it's Spider-Man beating up the cops and he's talking about how he's like pulling his punches and like which ones are good or which ones are bad. And it's like I would never have thought about that. Like just show me him defending himself and webbing these guys up. I know Spider-Man's not going to kill anyone, you know, and like it's not the first time he's fought against police at the hands of Kingpin. Like just fight them like – this kind of hemming and hawing about Spider-Man's kill code and and how much he hurts people, it just makes him look like oh, this the weakest, most like – I don't use the term SJW because I actually find it to be a positive. Like I'm glad I, I'm fighting for social justice, you know. But to have a guy like worry so much about like who is getting punched hard enough – in the only moment of his action, it just makes Spider-Man seem like a real wimp. I might push back with you on that. I mean, I get what you're saying, and I don't completely disagree. But, like, you know, if I go back to, like, some of the Lee Dicko stories, like, those sidebars happened a lot. You know what I mean? Where Spider-Man would be, like, would be like, inner monologuing, like, good thing I'm only using 80% of my strength here. You know what I mean? Like, but that's the thing. Like, that was a story from another era. And, like, I feel like, yeah, I mean, like to agree with you like we've we've progressed past that now and i feel like you know it's only been in like the like again like the last decade or so where there's been like this real obsession with like you know like you said the the minutia of spider-man's codes and rules and and don't get me wrong i'm not advocating for him this to like obliterate everyone and not and become the punisher but like you know like like we don't we don't need to stop the action to kind of pontificate about you know, how hard he's punching somebody. I don't know. Like, like, you know, not at the expense of like withholding story, which we alluded to earlier. I'll I'll admit to some hypocrisy here because I have said in other shows that I like the kind of like Spider-Man's management of his powers during a fight, like whether or not he's out of web fluid or how he's like fighting people. But like that, 
I, I think I mean that when like a story is very Spider-Man oriented, like when our only time we're spending with Spider-Man, it's about him like hemming and hawing over his code. Give me something more interesting than whether or not he's punching someone hard. Like, how does he feel about it? Like, how does he feel about finding himself in the situation other than, am I going to hurt these people? I just, I feel so divorced from Peter Parker right now. And, and this is when you and I like get the most detached from the book is when we go, who is Peter Parker? I don't know. I don't know right now. We do know that the long range spider tracer still exists, I guess. <laughs> I guess. so. When was the last time we saw that? Years, I would think, you know, and again, like, oh, well, well that's a cool little nod to something, but it is very uh, kind of, uh, you know, machine in the box or God in the box, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, let it, let it, let it behold. We have this new MacGuffin. <laughs> now, last issue, we talked a lot about how the syndicate was kind of being portrayed in terms of like, uh, like, uh, you know, feminist tropes and things like that. We kind of revisit that here where everybody kind of realizes that the Beatles pulled one over on them and that like, they tell her, like, way to uphold, like, bad female stereotypes, which is what we were talking about. So I'm glad to see Spencer kind of acknowledging that, you know, he played with that. And the Beatle is an interesting character in that she seems to leverage her femininity when it suits her, but ignores it when uh, it doesn't suit her. Because she says, I didn't lie to you because I'm a woman. I lied to you because I'm a villain or whatever. And I thought, OK, that's interesting for Spencer to kind of dive down that hole. The, the tropes that we discussed in the past were like kind of improved upon. I mean, it didn't, it just, just didn't feel as cliched as the last issue. And I don't, I'm not saying <laughs> I'm trying to tread, tread carefully here. I mean, you know, like I, I, I like the idea of, like you said earlier of being a warrior for social justice, but like, I mean, you know, not to the point of like constantly like patting yourself on the back for it and, and pointing it out. So um, I kind of like that they played and had some inversions here and had a sense of humor about it. Sure. I'm not for social justice trophies is, is, is what I'm, what I'm implying. Like, like be a social justice warrior, fine, but don't look for a handout, you know, thanking you for doing it. It just should be good manners. It's, it's how I feel. So there's this interesting moment where Boomerang kind of escapes and and the syndicate are kind of fighting with uh, Kingpin's goons after kind of rejecting the beetle. And Spider-Man leaves them to kind of beat up the cops, asking that the beetle not harm them or else he'll tell her boyfriend. Uh, this moment kind of rung false for me. It was the moment where I thought like, why have Spider-Man leave these guys behind to fight the cops? Like one, it's kind of like goes against his like very origin, which is like not trusting, you know, criminals to just not hurt anyone, I guess. But also like, why not showcase Spider-Man's adeptness at his job to have him like, you know, go back down there in classic, you know, Ditko st storytelling style where he loses to the villain and then defeats them later have him go down there and defeat the syndicate himself and then go off to join, the, you know, the the boomerang, you know, like why not allow him that moment? That's a good point, Dan. I mean, you know, we, we, we don't have many moments of Spider-Man in this book these days. So maybe that's why, because I don't know what else to add to that. But I, I, I absolutely agree and, and wish that, you know, again, we, we would get these moments of proactivity and not just kind of reactivity from from Spider-Man. Yeah, I mean, I feel like the reason it's done is because, like, he, you know, Spencer wanted to hammer in that Boomerang has some value towards, you know, her boyfriend, right? That this relationship is going to continue, which is where the book ends, right? Like, 
this idea that Boomerang calls on her father's crew, which are identified by like people who are working for Mr. Stone, who I have to imagine is Tombstone, right, to come and rebuild Feast, which is a nice like way to wrap this all up and make it kind of tidy and set up, you know, eventual future storylines if Randy Robertson is working for a company that is also in bed with Tombstone. Not only in bed, but indebted, you know? So there is something being done there, but like, I would just like to see Spider-Man. I don't know. I don't need him to be like the Uber mensch, you know, like this all powerful male figure that can defeat anybody and everybody. But like, it'd be nice to see him like be competent and, and, and control of his own story in some way. Any thoughts on the uh, art on this book? I don't know. It just was not doing it for me. I felt like, Spider-Man in costume in this book looked especially weird. Like, I couldn't stop staring at his glutes. Like, dude has been doing squats. I mean, there's nothing wrong with squats, but I agree with you here. I mean, like, it, it just it just felt like it was missing something. I mean, you know, but that's kind of, I mean, I hate to be this way, but that's kind of been the theme of this book anytime Otley takes a, 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 a break. I still feel that the, the best Spencer issues tend to be the Otley ones and, and the rest are kind of lacking. Yeah, well, we're getting uh, Patrick Gleason on the next issue, and that's really exciting because his stuff over for DC was really incredible, and I I can't wait to see what he brings to this book. I I hope that he and Otley are a good rotating team with each other, and and that's kind of where we are moving forward. But yeah, Kev Walker's stuff wasn't doing it for me. Like Spider Man, like not only his physique, but his his face mask and the webbing was really awkward, and you got these kind of like really distorted lenses, and even the people out of costume look strange. Like Kingpin is kind of like distorted in a way that I don't recognize. And I don't know. I mean, I just don't think he was a right fit for a Spider-Man title. Well, you got a grade on this? Yeah, I'm giving this one a C minus. And uh, Dan, uh, (laughs) you won't believe this, but I'm right there with you. C minus from me too. (laughs) All right. Well, hey guys, I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. Hopefully you enjoyed the comic a little bit more than we did. Or maybe you're you're feeling vindicated that we're feeling the same way. Thanks again for supporting us. And we look forward to talking about the next one. Thanks again, guys. Thanks for joining us for our review roundup episode of the all-new Amazing Spider Talk. We hope you all enjoyed our coverage of Amazing Spider-Man Volume 5, numbers 26 to 28. Also, for our Patreon subscribers, be sure to check out our Patreon page and your podcast feed, where this week we've already got special reviews of the entire Nick Spencer run up through issue 35. More of that 2099 story that we're all kind of digging, I guess. And if you enjoyed today's show... Why not help support our show and get caught up all at the same time with all these new Spider-Man comics, even the B-Books? We've got our other team working on that. So, uh, yeah, lots of great content for you to get. I think we have almost 200 podcasts on there that, like, you can just download instantaneously. Yeah, and that's just for $3.99 a month, the price of a new comic. You'll get access to our exclusive new issue reviews b-book reviews and more and for ten dollars or more a month you'll get access to some awesome commission artwork this time from barry kitson as he depicts the tremendously sad sorrowful moment that spider-man learned of gwen stacy's demise snap wah 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 also be sure to check out our sister podcast the untold talks of spider-man you know, I, I've been told recently that some people like didn't realize that we were like two different shows. That it was kind of the same thing. And I, I think if you haven't checked out the Untold Talks of Spider-Man, and I know a lot of you guys haven't, really you should check it out. It's really quite a different flavor from us. 
Mark, I think you and I can be funny at moments in time, but I think that show is often hilarious and I really enjoy listening to it. So just a really big plug for the guys and what they're doing over there because it's a really cool show. No doubt. Go listen to it right now. Plus, we've also got the amazing Spider Slack community for you to join. Just check out this episode's description for a link to join our Spider-Man forum community. It's just a great place. A lot of really nice people talking about Spider-Man without all the bitterness and nastiness of Twitter and things like that. I see people complaining about Spider-Man Twitter and Certainly I complain about it because there's a lot of rancor about what movie people like best. And in our little community, everybody just loves everything and is nice to each other. So come and join it. Get in the holiday spirit with our friendly little community. Yeah, I mean, Twitter is the only place in the world where like both Spider-Man is terrible because he is like Iron Man's servant. And also, how can Sony ever produce a good Spider-Man movie without Marvel's help? There you have it. <laughs> I just summed up Spider-Man Twitter. <laughs> Amazing, Mark. Uh, well, you know, another nice thing is we got to issue a special thank you to our sensational editor, Rick Coast, who edited this very episode and all of our recent episodes. Rick, why don't you jump into the show right now and tell us a little bit about some of your amazing work that you do? Thanks, Dan. Uh, you can find a lot of my work at modernaudiodrama.com. A lot of my audio fiction series are there. You can also find my stuff at rickcoast.com and as well as links to some of the podcast editing I've done. I've done some work for Marvel. Uh, you can see all that there. And you can also follow me at Twitter at Rick Coast. Awesome. Well, thanks again, Rick. Mark, where can we find you online this week? Well, you can find me on Twitter at ChasingASMBlog or you can order my book wherever books are sold, 100 Things Spider-Man Fans Should Know and Do Before They Die. The, the name of the, That's the name of the book, not wherever books are sold. I don't know where you just don't confuse that. <laughs> the book is called 100 Things, not where you might as well add it onto the title for the title is so long for that book. It might as well say wherever, wherever books, books, are, books sold. are sold. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Wherever Spider Man, Spider Man's, you'll find a hundred things you should know and do before you die regarding Spider-Man. Dan, you're killing my book even more than it's already been killed. Anyway. Look, look, guys, just look up 100 Things Spider-Man, and it's the first thing that comes up. And, like, buy that book. It's a great thing to open under the Christmas tree this year. Or, you know, whatever religion is or non-religion it is that you follow. Exactly. Spider-Man's good for all. He truly is. Now, Dan, speaking of being good for all, where, where can we find your good for all opinions and such? Yeah, I'm over on Twitter at, at SupSpiderTalk. I don't have a book to hawk, but I am still writing review roundup recaps of The Mandalorian for TV Guide. And, you know, come join me. We're on like episode four or five now. I don't know when this is coming out. We'll be on some episode of The Mandalorian. And surely if you're listening to a Spider-Man podcast, there's a good chance you're also watching The Mandalorian. Why not see... All of my commentary about that and Baby Yoda and all that stuff over on there. So, yeah, check it out. The Mandalorian on TV Guide and at SupSpiderTalk on Twitter. Mark, I've done enough prostrating of myself. Is that the word I wanted to use? Uh, maybe. Uh, I don't think it is. Well, it's possible. Where are you going with this, Dan? <laughs> We're professional writers, and part of that is messing up language sometimes. And also making sure that we're including the very best of human language in our writing. And uh, Mark, on our show, there is nothing better than our motto. And what is it? Is it with great prostrating? There must, wait, no, no. Let me try again. With great podcasts, there must also come the all new Amazing Spider Talk. Don't, don't miss the next installment.
Is was it proselytizing? Was that what I was going for? Keep guessing, Dan. Keep guessing. Somehow I landed up in the kind of rectal territory, and you never want to land there. I'm stopping this now. 